0: In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes! Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell.
1: Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com.
0: Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi. Welcome to Finders Grievers, a happy-ish podcast about sad things. I'm your host, Shohana Sharman. So, first thing first, sorry I've been missing an action. Sometimes you set the best of intentions, but life gets in the way. But we're back, for real, this time, and let's just get into the good stuff, the grief stuff, right away. In today's episode, I am talking to musician, writer, and activist, Robbie Ahmed, Robbie is a musician and a writer whose work covers topics of immigration, spirituality, trans rights, mental health, and healing. He has played at Toronto Storytellers Festival, Naked Heart Festival, Pride Toronto, Gladstone Hotel, Soul Pepper Theater, Sellers and Newell, and Queer Collective Tiny Desk Series, California State University, and The Handlebar. Robbie has also contributed to various publications such as Nuance, Yo Homo, These Pills Don't Come in My Skin Tone, The Living Hyphen. Elephant Journal, Rest for Resistance, and the upcoming The Brown Book in 2022. In 2018, his portrait was featured in the 10 x 10 photography project depicting 100 LGBTQ Canadians in the arts, and was the recipient of 2020's Buddies at Bad Times Queer Emerging Artist Awards. Outside of the art world, Robbie is also an avid mental health advocate and has served three years on the board of directors of Across Boundaries, an ethno-racial mental health organization in Toronto for the start, of their first LGBTQ programming. Robbie is also an art educator striving to bring representation of immigrant and trans voices in writing and music. A quick content warning today's episode includes mentions of suicide and mental illness. If this is not right for you, take care of yourself first. So, without further ado, let's say hi to Robbie. Well, welcome, Robbie. Uh, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me today.
0: Yeah, so excited to have you. Um, I know that you are also living in Toronto, so I've been asking people, uh, is the world equally as fire (laughs) where you are as it is for for me here? Um, Yeah, how are you you feeling?
1: Um, I think we are right now in very, again, back in uncertain times. We were feeling like there's like vaccination and a bit of hope, so now it's a bit of... (laughs) An interesting time, but I I do hope that something sorts out soon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like constantly navigating. Every morning I wake up and I'm like deciding, not even deciding, but just sort of going back and forth on where I'm landing with all of this stuff, but happy to be vaccinated. Um, So yeah. Thank you again for doing this. Um, I wanted to speak to you about your experience with grief and loss and um, particularly, uh, how it impacts your work as an artist. So, um, at the, just starting at the very beginning, um, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, who you lost?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think, um, in my life, I, in the last 10 years, I, my husband Mark feels punctuated by two deaths. Um, I think, um, was that when I was 19 I lost my brother to mental health and when I first came to Canada and it's been 10 years since I've been in Canada and I recently lost my mom during the pandemic so it's been kind of feels you know, the start and the kind of the tail end of like my 10 years getting my citizenship in Canada and losing my mom so
0: that that's um I'm sorry for your loss I know we hear that often and it doesn't always feel meaningful, but I do mean mean it, it's it's interesting that you think, you feel like it's sort of uh, marking this passage of time. Were you, where were you uh, when your brother passed away?
1: Um, it was my first year in Canada. I just came to school. He was in U.S., so he was in school in the U.S. at that time, and then I came over to study, and he helped me actually come over to Canada to study, but then he passed away a year in he is eight he was eight years older than me he um me and him like we grew up together uh, quite a bit but he was a bit older and so uh, my parents were divorced so we spent some time together sometimes he lived with my mom instead for a while but um i think me and him had like a relatively okay relationship Mm -hmm. as much as he didn't always agree with things like me being queer but then he came around it. he was agreed for me to come to Canada, which is kind of like my relationship with him. As he was one of the people who actually helped me apply and come, even though my parents weren't really pro for those things.
0: I, I know that the age difference thing is kind of uh, difficult to navigate at times. Did you have any, did he have any hobbies that you two shared?
1: Or- um, I think one of the, like everything I know about like music pop culture, everything kind of comes from him. Sometimes even when I write my own music, I think about it like sometimes my music teachers go like, you sound like you have an older music taste. And I'm like, because everything that I know about music is always (laughs) kind of influenced
0: by him, right?
1: In a lot of ways.
0: Did you two listen to some music together? Like for me personally, my brother was like my first uh, cultural introducer. Like he introduced me to all of my first favorite bands.
1: That's pretty much it. Every CD I had was like from my brother, which is like George Michael, whatever. <laughs> he was <laughs> listening at that time, and I was like, what are these songs? But I, yeah, so he had a bunch of collections, and it somehow till now has shaped my music taste.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's so so interesting. And um, tell me a little bit about the rest of your, your family.
1: So I think it's a little complicated, like with my mom. Um, so my parents have been divorced since I was two. And it's been a bit of a bowing back and forth, (laughs) like from different like houses and deciding where to live. But um, so my brother is somebody who struggled with depression for many years. I think that's worth mentioning in this conversation, which has kind of led to his passing and something he struggled through his life. Ironically, I remember when I was five, six years, I had a dream that he was going to pass away due to depression. And so it was something that did eventually happen which is kind of ironic well but I guess you know signs when you see it and um but so he I think he struggled a lot with shifting around and just kind of with a lot of things in general and not having much support but then he went to the U.S. which was his way to like (laughs) come and like get his education and I think that was what happened and I think it was hard because on my So I do a lot of advocacy in mental health, which is around in across, I used to be at board of directors at across boundaries, which is for racialized mental health, because it was something that our family doesn't talk about. And it's been kind of like a huge part of what happened with my brother, right? And a lot of it is just um, like my parents knew, but they didn't know what it meant. They didn't know like the connection between mind body now my dad has become really great about it but i think it was after boss that my dad's become an advocate for it but i think it was during that time they didn't understand what it meant with hospitalizations they didn't understand the medical system when he was in the u.s he was getting support there because there was a bit more infrastructure and system for that but back in Bangladesh, we don't have that and even my mom struggled with that which is Kind of how, like, I think it in intergenerational trauma, right, you have someone like my mom who didn't have support, even though my dad was trying to get her support, and then it passed on to my brother, which he did try to get support, but it might have been a bit too late. Mm-hmm. And so now I think, like, it's funny because me and my dad are the only ones kind of alive left of our family. So we've, my dad's been really supportive on, like, mental health advocacy now and being a lot more <laughs> aware of things.
0: So, I'm Bangladeshi as well, and I was born and raised in a Bangladeshi uh, household. I lived there till I was 11. And even now, when I go back and visit, the stark contrast of how mental health is treated. Not that we are doing a great job here in Canada of discussing mental health, but it really is not discussed at all in, in Bangladesh. So, I'm I'm glad to hear that your dad is um, more open to having those conversations because I know personally that in my family, there are many members of the older generation who are just not open to it at all.
1: I know, and it's uh, interesting because when my brother passed away, the shock around me is the fact that nobody wanted to talk about what happened. Until this day, people still don't wanna talk about it even though they know. And I think because it's still such a taboo subject to talk about, right? Yeah, but one thing that's worth mentioning that a lot of the times we think about immigration as like, oh, it was because of like, maybe just struggling with mental health. But I think one thing that's worth noticing is that when he immigrated to us, there was a lot of pressures like getting a green card and just immigrate, And there was a lot of racism and things that were going on among that time that also contributed to a lot of what was happening, which we don't talk about because immigrants do suffer from more pressures. I think with my brother, he got rejected for a green card and there was a lot of things that were happening that we don't talk about that sometimes contribute to these pressures.
0: Do you remember what that grief was like?
1: I I do. I think it's complicated. Uh, well, one of the things I meant, wanted to mention is that for trans folks, it, grief is really different. And I think it's because you don't have time to grieve because you are you become in survivor mode because you have to deal with your family, which means you have to detransition. So the two mm-hmm. times that my family members passed away, it was there was no time to grieve because the time was like I have to now detransition to go back and do the funeral and deal with these things before I can process grief at my own time. And I think for me those were the two, like I say, the punctuated deaths because my first time my brother passed away. Even though I didn't have time to process, to me it was, I just came to Canada and I just started transitioning and I had to revert back to process, to go to the funeral, to deal with all of that and deal with being out for the first time to my family. And then even this time back, I had to go back to Bangladesh and it's been five years since I've been in testosterone, change all my documents. And I had to go back to square one where I had to pull up my old documents and just erase the evidence of my transition to try to deal with the grief. But luckily, the pandemic has helped me, it gave me time, I didn't have to go back right away. I had eight months to grieve, and then deal with the politics of my transition in being able to attend the funerals.
0: When you say like, you mentioned like paperwork, you speak to that a little bit more?
1: So when you transition in Canada, you are able to change your Canadian documents. But unfortunately in Bangladesh, I was not able to change my Bengali documents. So when you're trying to visit back home and prove your citizenship, you have to pull up all of your dead <laughs> documentations because you will never able to change it, out yourself to Bengali government, and deal with all the politics that's with where the queer LGBTQ rights are in Bangladesh versus... Which And I luckily got eight months to do that research, to go like, where are the LGBTQ support? Who are my lawyers? Who are my resources that I can actually even be able to deal with these kind of things?
0: I'd love to hear more about your experience of going back the first time where you didn't have the space degree versus this time where you did have the space and how you felt.
1: I think the first time around was harder because um, I... Like I said, I just remember I cut my hair. I was already started, like, right living as a man at that time, which I identify as, and it was just straight going back. And it was harder because it was also just, I don't know how to explain, dealing with the discrimination that comes in Bangladesh around, like, just, like, the way I was presenting at that time, because I cut my hair short because I was wearing pants and just, like, having the imams or whatever the folks that were having problems with me being there Mm -hmm. even though like they didn't know I was trans but they didn't know they knew something was up (laughs) and just hearing like being like lectured during about like religious things while you try to grieve and also dealing with just all of that stuff so I didn't have time to process it at that time but it was over very quickly (laughs) and then I came back and was able to actually grieve so my grief gets postponed
0: (laughs) I guess like when you say your grief is postponed, like what did that feel like as lived experience?
1: I think you get to like, you don't get to grieve with your family as much. I think you ha- you have to grieve it with yourself. If that's mm. the best way to explain it. it's just that you can't um, open up to your family about things. You just have to just kind of process to yourself. And then you have friends who are may not understand what you're going through, which we already know sometimes that if you're going to grief, your friends may not know or be in the same headspace as you, well, your world is falling apart, people keep going, right? Yeah. But I think here it's also that idea of like, you don't know the people in Bangladesh or people that I've lost and my new chosen family is not connected to my biological family. So they may not understand what you've lost because they've never met those people.
0: I always talk about the isolation of grief because for me personally, um, after I lost my mom, I felt very isolated from my peers here. But what I think the one thing I will say is that losing my mom, at least for a period of time, brought me closer to my family because you're all you know, there's like a structure to death, right? To dealing with death, you go to the funeral, you have the, you know, in Bangladesh, the milad, the different religious ceremonies, like you all do that together as a family. So I felt like I had that, at least I had that support before, you know, that's all over and I come back to Canada and then there's this isolation. I think what I think there was a little bit of isolation for you, even amongst your family, because of this um, added layer that you were dealing with.
1: I think around my brother's death, that was the case. Around my mom's death, I felt a bit more support for my family, a bit. um, And I agree, I think community, something we don't talk about is like, we need other people as a community to heal, especially people who knew the person who lost because then you can share memories and debrief and like and one thing when I eight months later after coronavirus when I was able to fly back I felt like I get I finally got closure because I saw my uncle and I saw my aunts and like they knew my mom and I got kind of like I felt like a closure Hmm. around that but I think around it helped maybe because with my mom The onus was away from (laughs) my transition. It was more on my mom and what happened with my mom that took away that tension away from my (laughs) transition at that point. How was your uh,
0: relationship with your mom?
1: I think it was complicated. I haven't talked to my mom for seven years before her death. So I have estranged myself completely from her, which which are the complicated parts is that I made a decision to never talk to her in my life ever again and but i knew that like you know in the back of your head you're like eventually she'll pass away and i'll have to deal with it as it happens but i do think her death finally was maybe it's not a bright side to say and the way is the improved my relation which it has finally got closure and forgiveness that i didn't think i was ever gonna have yeah. and i think those eight months post her death and that coronavirus isolation and just be in silence was I was like, this is an opportunity for me to heal and a po- opportunity for me to actually open what I kind of put in a box for seven years and actually because it, the pain is still there, right? When you're like, and then you're like, okay, now that it's there, I have to grieve it and I have to now fix and heal it. You know, I never, <laughs> there's a my favorite writer, Cheryl Strait, and she said that at the end, it all comes down to forgiveness. <laughs> And I think of that as, like, I, and it's, and I actually was talking to my therapist saying, like, I don't know why I was never able to forgive her while she was alive, but I was when she died. And, and a part of it, she said that sometimes is when you're in a trauma mode, and you're trying to protect yourself at all costs, you don't have time to, like, have empathy, you're in survival, or just understand somebody. Mm -hmm. And then when my mom finally passed away, I was like, this is an opportunity for me to start reading books about my mom's condition start to actually understand the cultural political issues behind my mom uh to be more candid my mom suffered from a personality disorder for many years which is what led to the divorce for my dad Mm. and it's been a rough journey that's been since my childhood so that we've been going up and down and then in the last seven years especially me coming out as trans our relationship was completely severed Mm. and i just didn't deal with it but then after she passed away i was like i started reading books about people who had parents who struggled with that and that was a healing experience for me because it's funny because i never did that i just was like this i'm not dealing with it but then after reading like people did suffer that people have been with these kind of up and down relationship with their parents and it's opportunity for me to heal my wounds understand like my mother understand how she grew up her traumas and everything that was contributed to like what might have like passes on as intergenerational trauma
0: mm-hmm. a lot of this is resonating with me even though in the very different context so my mom and I also had a very complicated relationship as I think a lot of a lot of people do and I think our relationship was very complicated because of We just, we had grown up in very different contexts. So she obviously was born and raised in um, Bangladesh, lived there till her mid-40s, then suddenly was uprooted and had to move to this side of the world. I came to this side of the world at a much, much younger age, and I really became who I am today in sort of North American culture. Um, So my mom and I would, you know, clash off and we'd butt heads on so many different things. But um it wasn't until after she passed away that i actually took the time to look at her side of the story and it for a long time i dealt with a lot of guilt around that because you know why didn't i why didn't i see this before why did we have such a compli- complicated like i always found myself asking myself like what could i have done differently it took many 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 years of therapy to sort of overcome that uh, that feeling of what if and what could have been to just sit with like this is the relationship we had and all i can do now is appreciate what we had and not think about the coulda woulda shoulda if you will
1: i agree and i think um one thing is that maybe i wasn't in my healing journey to have forgiven her because at that time every conversation is i wasn't at a place where i accepted myself (laughs) To be able to have a relationship with her, so, so sometimes like both people are unhealed, one has to heal before forgiveness can. And I wasn't at that stage at that time to heal either. So, I think if I did, and we had more time, maybe. But
0: yeah. Um. So tell me a little bit about because you mentioned that this happened during the pandemic. So where were you in your life when your when your mom passed away?
1: I think I was doing, like, you know, as artists, we lost our jobs during the <laughs> pandemic as we <laughs> we do. So I was just working whatever hours I still had left. That was online because my physical jobs have been, and I was just doing art. And when my mom passed away, I took that time to just, like, I, I was watching this documentary by Ruth E. Carter, who's a costume designer for Black Panther. And she was talking about her husband passing and she said that art is a prayer. So she created that as a way. And to me, I was just like, well, I have this time (laughs) and nothing to do. So I might as well heal through art. And that's why I wrote that part, which is the healing manifesto for Brown parents, which was like the things that was a way for me to just like meet my mom halfway, which was like about our jobs, about who we are as people (laughs) and as a way to just like, take that time, because I had so much silence and space there. (laughs) Um,
0: So can you tell me about how you first learned about your mom's passing?
1: Um, I got a call, and I think that was really difficult for me to handle, because honestly, like I thought that my brother's passing, due to his mental health, was the worst thing that happened to me. Having it happen twice to you was... Felt almost like unreal. It was just, at that time, I was like, there's no way on earth that we will able to handle this. Not two people. In the same way, it would was devastating to me. And, um, but I think we, like, we somehow find a way to move on and take one day at a time. I always say, like, just take one step. You just need to wake up tomorrow. And that's how sometimes I deal. I was like, your only achievement for today is just wake up tomorrow and just keep going
0: yeah so uh you already kind of mentioned it, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about how dealing with your grief impacted your work as an artist.
1: I think a lot of my work is <laughs> it is around grief. A lot of my songs are about grief, I think, and a lot of it is reconciling and finding like that there is uh, there's still love and that's what's important that even if things end, even if things, like, it's all, like, yeah, about forgiveness and about still having hope. I think uh, one of the part of Brown, uh, the healing manifesto for Brown parents was a way to meet my mom halfway as a, like, where we could have met. And a lot of my music is about my brother. It's about his passing and about, like, him saying that the world is a hopeless place. And a lot of my song is about a saying that I don't believe that. Even as long, and I choose not to believe that, even despite all the experience that are happening to me, that I will still choose that it's worth, even if things are ephemeral, temporary, even through it's still worth being around. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same thing with my work. I'm just going like every time I'm going to lose something, I'm going to give something more back to the world. And that's kind of the way for me to cope with activism work, which is like if I lose somebody, it just means that I just have to give more back to the world.
0: Hmm yeah i I love that that's um that's a really beautiful way of of seeing it. yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about the manifesto? I'm very very intrigued.
1: yeah, it was uh just a bunch of ways to like um I think I used to like I think as all kids do, we see our parents as enemies, especially brown parents, right because they're so strict at times. <laughs> And, um, I know it's uh, ironic because, um, my aunts and uncles would always say, like, you should reconcile with your mother over the years because, um, but I don't regret not reconciling. I think it was the right decision because where I was as a trans person, there was, it wasn't a safe space for me at that time to reconcile. But I do believe that I should have been more open to see that she eventually wanted what was best for me. And I think that deep underneath all that trauma, that's, we all had the same intentions is what's best for me. But what was different is for me, it was transitioning for her. It was to have AKA normal life <laughs> to her. But at the end, our intentions for each other were the exact same. And I think so uh, Brown Man- uh, Manifesto was about like, um, we will not force our children to become doctors, engineers, but we will want our children to have sustainable careers because of then I think that's what she wanted. It's not that she wasn't against art, it was just about sustainability and happiness. So we met ourselves. And it's more of saying that it's not about just physical health, it's our mental health because all are together. And just saying that um, we're not gonna force our children, like instead of like forcing our children to find partners, we want our children to have a community and people that love and support them. Because I think my parents didn't want me to be alone. And I think that's sometimes comes off as (laughs) like, these pressures and things, and just kind of like where where do we meet halfway?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's so so um, true, <laughs> very very true what you're saying, and I really relate to it a lot. I've written in the past about how after my mom passed away, it took me years to see it, but I did eventually see that we wanted what you said about like, we both had the best of intentions, but it almost felt like we were speaking two different languages because what she wanted for me was like a stable life. She would always say like, I just want you to have a normal stable life. And what I wanted was also a stable life, but just with different markers. I think it's just those markers are what create these crossed wires almost. And so we we just yeah it's it's so hard to speak across these barriers because that's what it feels like so i think the idea you're presenting of like always wanting to see the other side and meet halfway is really it's a very important reminder
1: yeah and i think a part of it is also what right now is looking back of like what did our parents give us that was great and one I can carry with me sometimes it's easy to I know a lot of folks sometimes have this pressure like why do you even care about your mom because she didn't accept you whatever sometimes there's a pressure especially in the western context right around yeah. like if your parent didn't accept you they're not worth it caring about and at the same time I'm like yes my mom didn't but my mom also was the reason I have an education she sent me to school she taught me everything I know about Like, um, I didn't know English when I, because I, long story, but I didn't speak English until 11 or like 12. And my mom took her time to teach me English because she said that the world is going to like move towards speaking English. And if you don't learn a language, and she like, I remember taking time off work to teach me, even though she was really strict when she was teaching me, I was like, I speak this language because my mom took that time to do that for me. So in a lot of ways, she did set me up for success in a lot of ways. So to me, I go, like, even though, yeah, it's a, it's complicated because there's this Western queer ideals of like what parents are, but then there's also the Brown ideals of like, well, my parents did care in that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's always this sort of, for me anyway, there's always this looking back of like, I think when my dad, uh, mom and dad used to say it, it always felt like, um, almost like an accusation of like, look how much we've done for you. Look where we've brought you. And it is, again, very valid and important reminder, but it was almost always used as like, as a punishment (laughs) of like, look how much we've done for you. Why aren't you doing X, Y, Z for us? And I think I now am more sympathetic to that line of thinking. I wasn't when I was younger because it, again, it always felt like an accusation of like, and now i have a little bit more perspective to pause and be like no i didn't do xyz but also what they they the work that they put in to give me the life that i have today is is beyond beyond what i can even um, put into words really the ways in which they paved the road for us is beyond anything i can i can speak to and i think coming at it from that place of gratitude reminding myself to come to this place of gratitude and really thinking about like, yes, you had a difficult relationship. Yes, there will be difficulties in the relationship. My father is still alive. We're not on the best of terms, but I'm learning every day to be like, he knows what he knows and he does what he does. You can only control what you can do with what he does. Um, So again, that reminder of like, trying to meet them halfway without, quote-unquote sacrificing yourself.
1: I think it's complicated because brown parents tend to say that I gave you something that means like you owe me something but sometimes it's important for us to remind yourself like you gave it because you give with no expectation. So when we give we have to give without wanting, feeling like we owe somebody something. So I keep trying to tell myself when my dad still uses that logic to go like but you gave because you wanted to give out of the kindness of your heart without feeling like you, oh, it's not a business transaction where I gave you this much and you have to repay me (laughs) with $10 per $10. Like, it's not (laughs) like, as a parent, you give because you want to give. And that's what any, like, even a romantic relationship is similar, right? You want to give without an expectation because otherwise it becomes toxic, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The phrasing of that, I always struggled with of like, exactly what you said you gave because you wanted to give to your children not because you were I didn't realize you were keeping tabs on what I can give back to you like that always really bothered me
1: I think it's interesting because um the last um four years I've been like really like I made a decision and I was working full-time-ish and non-for-profit and I quit that and I wanted to do art which like a lot of artists do at <laughs> where they just go really hard and sometimes lose track of life in a lot of ways because they're like, I need to make it, whatever is the stories we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And But even though I was going at a 90 miles per hour in my art, it made me pause because this one year has been like, I had to deal with my mom, deal with going back. I had no deal with my own chest surgery, which was coming up and all of that. And I was like, I can do art right now, like uh, the same way I was doing, I need to like take a break. But I think it was the best break I took because it reminded me of like, why did we create art in the first place? And it's just to heal. And I have a, I used to have an unhealthy relationship with my art, which is just like, do it to make it, which is never where it should be. It should be like, do to heal yourself, not for an audience, it's just purely for yourself.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think that was a healing process for me which I was like, what if I just stop creating for people and started creating just for me, and to heal me and deal with my own life experience? And if it's beneficial to other people, that's great. It's a bonus. But if not, I did it to be able to deal with life. And it took me back to my childhood as to why did I even want to be an artist? Is to heal, right? And I think that was a that pause.
0: I had a similar relationship with my art before the pandemic, where I was just like going at 110%, constantly produce, create, you know, really, um, I didn't realize uh, at some point my art has become a business in my mind. And I think that forced break where it was really important to remember why I love doing the thing I love doing and to reconnect with that.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I think that was... One of those journeys is just to like, yeah, just remember that you heal. And it's funny because I teach art to kids, and we, the reason we do it in this really messed up way of like vulnerable children, communities. But what we're trying to do is like we're teaching them coping strategies art. And to me, it was just like, well, I do that to little kids. Why am I not reflecting? T- why I'm doing art? And it's probably to be build resiliency as well.
0: Hmm. If you could go back in time to whether it's going back in time to when you lost your brother or uh, dealing with the grief of losing your mom, um, what advice would you give yourself?
1: I think the same advice that I gave myself the moment I was experiencing it is just like, say like, just wake up in the morning. And there will be moments like, um, I remember when I lost my brother, I was in the washroom um, of my mom's house, and I had to take off my hijab for the first time, and she would see that I cut my hair, and we would have to have a conversation, and it was during the milag, the and I knew that I was like this, I have to deal with this as I'm dealing with that, and I remember telling myself that if you just do one step at a time, there will be moments in your life where you're going to have people you'll love. There will be friends, chosen family, moments worth living. And for those moments, just take the next step. And I remember just opening that door and dealing with whatever my transness or like coming out and the fighting that happened with it. But in it was the last 10 years, those things did happen. I did meet people that I loved, my chosen family moments. I was truly happy. And to me, it was just like, go through those hard moments to get to those points and same thing with like uh when my mom passed away i had a dream which my brother tends like i don't know if this might sound a bit spiritual (laughs) to a lot of folks who are listening but i do believe in dream visitations and it's something that's i know my brother visited me when he passed away and he 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 as his last goodbye and when my mom passed away my brother came back in my dream and his only advice to me was prioritize your mental health and that's all that matters and to me that was like that message that i needed in the last eight months and i was like i just got to take care of me and save myself as much as i can at this point point. and i think that's something that i truly believe and i would tell myself like prioritize your your mental health is everything if you don't have that then you don't have anything like yeah they say what it is like people can spend a minute Without air, but not a second without hope, and I think that was something that you always have to like keep in mind.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's I, I really like that. Um, what advice do you give to others um, dealing with grief now?
1: I say read about experience that other people had uh, with dealing with the same thing. Yeah, it's to me like l- reading books about other people going through the same kind of grief journey makes you sometimes feel you're not alone and another thing is find a cause to give back it's funny because like there are things in islam that i like i have a weird relationship with islam but i do believe in one thing when people pass away is that you have to give something back like yeah in the name of your parent and you don't do it just because like going to heaven or whatever is the attachments there but do that for you to be able to like make something beautiful out of their death. Like go like, okay, if I do that, I wanna help this person because that's tied to my mom or our, for her honor or whatever it is. But do it like to honor that person versus like the heavenly attachments that come. <laughs> but it does help you because it makes you feel like that loss is not in vain.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And um, how do you remember your Brother or your mom now, like how do you honor their memory? Whether it's on milestone days like birthdays or anniversaries, or just every every other day.
1: I am really terrible at celebrating like milestone. My dad reminds them because he calls me every time there is a death anniversary or a birthday to remind me. It I tend to because to me, I one way to cope with my mom and my brother's death is I honestly believe that our they our uh, our loved ones become our guides and our ancestral guides. And I do believe that is like one way that I coped with my brother's half acceptance of my transness and my mom's full non-acceptance is that belief that what if after passing away that their love becomes pure love without the judgments and stigmas of the world. And now they're our guides. And I read this idea that what if our loved ones hold shrines for us in the afterworld? And now their job is to guide us. So every time, like, even through going back to Bangladesh, I had to deal with a lot of bureaucracies and a lot of not safe situations with the government. And sometimes I would say a prayer to myself going like, if my, I was like my mom or my brother, I would call out to them and go like, if if you're here, like help me through this. And somehow I would get my next step. And even now when there's uncertainty, I now use them as like my guides. So they're with me every day as my intuition, as my, part of my body and my spirit like so to me it's like I don't celebrate milestones because I'm like but they're always they're guiding me to my next step
0: yeah I love that that brought a really big smile to my face because I feel similarly I do celebrate milestones but I also I feel like my mom is always in the room like I just feel her presence around me when I'm Doing things which I don't think you can explain that to someone who hasn't experienced loss like that that feeling of like they're guiding you and there's like even like the intuition thing you talked about yeah I definitely um feel that yeah and I feel like you know it's so
1: funny because when my mom passed away there was a so my workplace sent me lilies and uh, they were in my room and they they were alive for a while. And I smelled the fragments and I thought to myself that if my mom had to come back as anything in the world, like the energy, she would choose a lily. Cause I know my mom and she would do something like that cause it's her favorite Aww. flower. <laughs> and, I, and I just like laugh at those lilies. Cause I go like, if you're here then you're probably in the scent of that lily. Like, cause that's your dramatic self
0: we choose that <laughs> oh that's so beautiful Um. well Robbie thank you so much for sitting down with me and having this beautiful conversation I'm honestly kind of blown away by how insightful you are about dealing with grief and sort of how we can use it as a change for as a, as a positive in our life I don't think that's um that's a discussion that's had very often but what you said about you know treating it as an opportunity to learn to heal and to give back is really really something that I'm going to carry with me so thank you so much I really really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here.
0: Talking to Robbie warmed my heart for so many reasons. From his experiences with grieving and loss to his insights on healing and community building through art to his anecdotes about navigating all of this while dealing with his Bengali family, something that I'm very familiar with. It just all connected so many dots in my mind and I really hope it did for you too. That's all this week. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts to listen and please rate and leave us a review. It really helps. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Finders Grievers, or drop us a line at findersgrievers at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.